As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Well, thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I get the distinct pleasure to sit in front of you with fellow podcast host, Lori Ruderman, and all of her leadership and her confidence and her view and vision for what our world should look like, I hope and pray comes out in this episode. So Lori, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's my honor and pleasure. I've been looking forward to this, so I'm glad we get to do it. I am as well. I am as well. So I just left the conversation, Lori, and to our listeners, I was just sitting with one of our faculty members of the Talent Magnet Institute, and we were talking about imagining the future, the ability that we have to help reframe what human resources, people and culture leaders, diversity and inclusion leaders should be to bring the most value to their organization. So I said, wow, how unique is this that I'm getting ready to go into the podcast studio with one of the most disruptive and engaging leaders of our time in this particular topic. So thank you for inspiring me to be bold and to lead well in this topic. You have certainly been an inspiration for me ever since the old punk rock HR days. So I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. I'm really honored and I'm fascinated to hear the outcome of that conversation. One of the things I love about your podcast is that it often goes in a lot of different ways, but it always comes full circle back on the human heart. And that's a theme that I've picked up from you, Mike, and I'm inspired by you as well. Yeah, thank you. So let's talk a little bit around why is it so difficult for people to take a just what is a function and lead strategically from this function? Is it an education thing? Is it an expectation thing? What do you feel is missing or misleading this function to lead the way it does? Well, fundamentally, I think work is a compromise. We don't, aren't honest about that and we don't often speak to the compromise realistically. But we go to work for myriad reasons, but fundamentally we go to work to earn money, to support our dreams outside of work. And it's only been recently where there's been a convergence between our passion and our purpose and the way that we earn income. So fundamentally, I don't think we're having an honest conversation about what work is and what work could be. And then on top of that, we have a function of human resources that's supposed to be a broker Mm -hmm. between the people who are doing work and the people who are directing work. And I think the function of human resources is also this weird compromise. So it's not a consistent department. It's not a consistent delivery of services. And there are no consistent expectations or experiences. Mm. So it's very muddy. It's very murky. And until you have leadership that kind of steps in and says, this is who we are, and they draw a line around it, and this is what we are not, Mm. the confusion will continue. Will continue. So Lori, I just this morning recorded a video calling executives to action around people leadership, right? I love it. It is about you, the leader. It's not about a function. It is about us, the leader, to call into action that people matter, that lives matter, 
that leading others well matters, that's called leadership. I was just having a discussion last week with one of my mentors that she was an EVP of human resources. And she said, I always live with this mantra. The only way to change organizational behavior is to change leadership behavior. And I always look to find and work with CEOs who understood that and who made all of us accountable to leading people well. Well, it's well said, but a component of this is the fact that people who are in leadership today and for the past 50 years may not be deserving of those titles or may have gotten there through Mm -hmm. nepotism, the conglomeration of wealth at the top, right? So there are people Mm -hmm. in these positions at the very upper echelons of our hierarchies who call themselves leaders who may not be leaders. There's also this other fundamental component of human behavior, which is if you're in a position of power, you don't want to give it up. Mm. So I really feel like if HR is doing its job well, it's an advisor, it's a role model, it's a coach. But fundamentally, if we're working ourselves out of the job of human resources, we're doing our job right. If we're teaching people to behave in moral and ethical ways, if we're instructing people to motivate and engage based on the human heart, we're doing our job right. Mm. If we're focused on risk mitigation and legal issues and compliance issues and financial issues, that's not really human resources, not in 2020 and beyond. That's finance, that's legal, that's risk management. And we should leave that there. But the human resources department of the future is concerned about human optimization and self-actualization. That's what I fundamentally Mm -hmm. believe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd love, and we talk about it, you're right, in our podcast that you can't achieve any organizational goal without people, right? right? So when are we going to start realizing that and start leaning into that? You can achieve basic accomplishments. So you can get a robot to come in and to automate your supply chain. You can get machines on the factory floor. You can get things to replace human doing, but you can't replace the human caring. You can't replace the human passion. You can't replace the human creativity, at least not yet. So we need people to care. We need people to dream. We need people to innovate. And until we start incenting people to do that, we're going to be stuck in this weird compromise where we sort of pay people for their time. We sort of pay them for their attention, but we also sort of pay them just for showing up. And it's so murky and it's so confusing that I don't blame workers for being a little cynical and being a little Mm. jaded about the world of work. Sure. Yeah. Neither do we. When you hear about environments that people work in, they're not thriving in that because their employers don't care if they thrive in that. Right. Right. And how do we help people bring out their most meaningful self in their space and do it because they love the trust that's being given to them to help them lead well and that they work for an organization that actually cares about their human long-term success, not just their short-term need for the business. You know, we talk about what if one day the ultimate pivotal experience is not retaining people, but helping people achieve their chapters successfully. And if you happen to be an employer who has that individual for you for that chapter, you should be helping them be the best they can be while they're there and almost encourage them. Now's your time to flourish, to move into something next that's great for you. And thank you, by the way, 
for helping us That's it. be the best we can be when you're here. So what if the retention word that the ultimate is to retain becomes the ultimate is just to help our people do the best they can do while they're here and then help them move into whatever that next chapter is. Well, that's a beautiful dream. And the weird compromise that we're currently navigating is the fact that so many of our performance metrics and the way that we reward companies, shareholders, people who are owners is based on weird metrics around productivity, around retention. And so we've got one language of business that's uh, from the 20th century. And we have one language around people that's more 21st century oriented. I think the blending of the two is the art, (laughs) is the challenge of our lifetimes. But, you know, I'm not exactly sure how leaders can meet the needs of their employees when they themselves are not engaged and they're not happy as well. I mean, that's the other tricky thing about this economy. What is it? 36% of leaders truly love their job. I mean, it's a very low number. So if you don't love your job as a leader, and work is broken for you fundamentally as a leader, why would it be any different for the people who report to you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It goes with the theory of put your oxygen mask on first, right? I think right. many <laughs> individuals, and many are hearing about that and living that. I love that we just had a cat jump in the background of oh, this my podcast episode. That was pretty cool. First time I've had that happen. <laughs> I am who I am. I don't run my household. My I know. We love it. We love it. <laughs> but to your point that if they're not happy, they're not going to be satisfied with themselves and their own life. So when we talk about reframing success, we believe that you have to succeed in your own relationships, yes. your own community and your own life. And we talk about relationships, work, community and life. If you can't do that for yourself, you can't help others do that. And if you think it's all about work, eventually you're going to run into the biggest, hardest brick wall you could have ever physically run into. Well, this is really the thesis of my grand work that I've been working on for the past year. I fundamentally believe that we fix work, whatever that means for you individually, by fixing ourselves by fixing yourself. And if you are all work, and I see Roxy in the background, that I apologize really for cool that. Again, huh? <laughs> she's, she's jumping out of bookshelf. If you are fundamentally all work and you don't interject your real life into right. it, you are yeah. a one-dimensional being. And that's just a recipe for burnout, disasters, unhappiness, and also a real artificial relationship with the people around you. So in my book, I really believe, and it's not something I've said, it's something Jim Rohn is like millions of people have said, Seth Godin, Stephen Covey, that all leadership first starts with self-leadership. And I believe that if you're not leading yourself, if you're not living a life where you understand your goals, your values, what you want out of this world, there's no way you're going to be successful at work. Right, right. Yeah, and eventually if you, the listener... I've been around so many leaders, Lori, that have experienced this. And we have so many episodes that talk about this because if you, the listener, are in a place where you're like, I'm not satisfied, I'm not happy, I'm not fulfilled, listen to yourself. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, Sometimes there's people who hit that moment and there's people who are in their lives where they got, my good friend's been telling me this for years, you just look miserable, right? If that's you... It's time for a change. There's no reason to live in that. You know, the other dynamic I have to say is also check yourself first, right? It doesn't always mean that the company that you're in 
and the role that you're in is causing you to be miserable. That's right. right? I think that point is so important because many of us have a lifetime of human problems, right? And then we go to work and we expect work to make us happy. And if we're not happy in our personal lives, it is unrealistic to think that work is going to solve those problems, whether we're having issues with our family of origin or we're carrying around imposter syndrome or we've got, you know, we've just got a panoply of problems that are unnamed and innumerable, right? If you don't work on those things, work is not going to solve those problems. In fact, work will be degraded because you're not working on those things. Your experience at work will be even harder. It will be even harder to get your job done. And I think about so many individuals I worked with in the world of human resources in HR who had problems with their spouses, their parents, with money, Mm. with feeling like imposters, and they would come to work looking for the answers And you cannot be in a position of leadership if you're constantly seeking and you're not really coming to terms with who you are and what you bring to the table. And I think a lot of people are just shifting responsibility. They're blaming. They're stuck in learned helplessness. And it creates a crazy, chaotic, emotional system at work. And work is not structured to deal with that. Work is about results, outcomes, goals, right? Progress. It's not really meant to make you feel good about yourself. Not right now anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It definitely highlights the holistic nature of, I mean, I think ultimately for those listening, that's what Lori and I want for you listening, right? That we've dedicated our lives to helping elevate people and help build great teams and create great organizations. But at the end of the day, if you listen to our episodes, it's a very human focus. Like we want people to be successful because they feel successful and that they have joy. It's so well said. And I remember working with this woman named Judy. I mean, that's not a real name, right? But let's call her Judy. And she would come into my office and she was a seasoned leader and would complain nonstop, complain about the people who reported to her, complain Mm -hmm. about her peers, complain about people above her in the org chart. And she would say things like, I come to work, I give 110%. What about this person? What about that person? And, you know, comparison, first of all, is the thief of joy. But beyond that, comparison allows us to look at other people and not have to be accountable for how we feel. And I remember saying to Judy, like, you think you work 110 hours a week? Are you really working? And also, when you're this angry and when you're focusing on other people, are you really giving us your best 110 hours? I would rather have 20 good hours from you where you're like focused and you love people and you're committed to the organization's betterment rather Mm. than 110 hours or whatever you think you work of Mm. restlessness, of anger, of animosity. That's not the work that I want from you. So just because you're dedicated and you feel like you're giving your all to a job doesn't mean like you're giving your best all to that job Mm -hmm. and your job may not want that. So that element that you mentioned of checking yourself is so important because we all have these assumptions. We all tell ourselves stories about who we are and how we're working and often we're wrong. We're just wrong. Yeah. And I think it's so important to talk about that because there are a lot of coaches out there and a lot of speakers out there that make people feel like it's got to be my job right? And from someone who interviews leaders for a living, we'd look for those behaviors to find the similarity, right? And if you worked in certain environments and you're the one that's always miserable or you're the one that's experiencing misery loves company, that maybe you're the one consistent, right? And I also find that sometimes that 
the unfortunate part is a lot of us did find that magic role. And because we bring life with us that we've not dealt with and wrestled with and sought help on, we can't live out our best self in the role we're supposed to be intended for, right? And it happens so many times. But the role we are intended to be is not project manager. It's not HR director. It's not vice president. The role we are intended to be is mother, father, sister, partner, spouse, cousin, friend, teacher, mentor. Those are the roles of a lifetime. And the job title you have is just a mechanism. It's an avenue. It's a vehicle to get to those roles of a lifetime, but it's not an end result. And if we begin by thinking, I need to make partner or I need to make VP of sales by a certain age, we are fundamentally doomed and we are always going to be unhappy in our job. But if we think, I need to be someone who's connected to my community. I need to be a good parent. I need to be the best spouse I can be. That hard work that you do and investing in yourself is going to drive you to be the things you want to be at work. Mm. It's just a different way of getting to it. But I think we've just had this myth from the 80s, from the 90s, from the early part of the century that it's all about work. Right. And it's no longer all about work. In fact, You're doing yourself and your organization a disservice if you go work first. You have to go people first, relationships first. And that's not a genius thought. That's Brene Brown. That's young. That's Freud. That's everybody. The Talent Magnet Institute. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's Mike Zippel Jr. (laughs) If you look back on our initial episodes, if you go back to, we did put work first in the priority of the language. And then several episodes in, it was like, this is all wrong. This is all wrong. And we know that, right? We want to help you succeed in relationships first. Yes. And if you do that, then those relationships around you in whatever environment you're in will feel that, right? If we're miserable, everyone else is going to be miserable. If we're pleased and have joy and have happiness, guess what? The people who are around you, no matter where that is, they're going to have joy peace and happiness because you can be contagious. That's right. Happiness and joy and peace is contagious, right? right? And when we give ourselves grace, we give others grace. And that is incredibly contagious too. So well said. There are leaders in my life who have always had a winning formula. And I think everybody's winning formula varies, but I think it pushed me to define my winning formula. How am I going to find joy? How am I going to find happiness? And my formula, I mean, it's not rocket science, but I put myself first, not in a selfish way, but I realize that in order to make anybody happy, in order to do good work, I have to elevate my well-being and make sure that I'm taking care of myself physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually. And if I don't get that right, I'm not going to get it right anywhere else. I have to start with myself first, just like a business invests in its own health and its own legacy, I have to invest in my own self. So that first component of putting myself first is an audacious, almost selfish thing to say, Mm -hmm. but it's so important for me. The second thing is that I need to take control of my career. My career is not in the hands of somebody else. It's not in the hands of my manager, not in the hands of my leader. It's in my hands. And Mm. so once I realized that I was responsible and accountable for every next step, my next steps got a little bit easier and they became Mm. a little less onerous because they were mine. I defined them. I put together a timetable. I put up my own goals. 
and they weren't in the hands of anybody else. And then I think finally, the third component of my equation is that I had to be my own agent, be my own HR, so that when someone challenged me, I didn't have to take it personally. I had to know who I was and be my own advocate. When someone would say no, maybe I had a moment of rejection there, but I had to understand how this fits in into the bigger picture. And also, if I wanted something, I had to make a plan to go after it. So it's putting myself first, taking control of my career and being my own agent. That for me has been my winning formula to find some peace. Mm. Wow. That's very powerful. Very powerful. And you mentioned you are writing a book, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. How far are you into that journey? Well, I'll tell you, I'm so surprised by this process. I have written the first draft of my book. And so it's done, it's completed, and it will be going to my editor on October 1st, and it will be published by Holt, which is a division of Macmillan. Okay. But it takes a year for a book to come out, which I wasn't sure I knew based on, like, I thought, oh, in this new digital economy, these things come out quickly. And they don't at all. It takes a year. And then we have the election coming into play. So it may come out October of 2020, or it may come out January 1st, 2021. We haven't decided yet, but okay. whenever it comes out, I feel like I'm building something to last. So I don't need to push it out into the marketplace. Sure. Just to rush it. Yeah. Right. I want to give it oxygen when it does come out. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. Great. So thank you for asking. Absolutely. And I assume the theme of what your learnings and your bringing out the best of others and joy, this is going to be the topic of the book? It is. It is. I'm really focused on helping people put themselves first, take control of their career and learn to be their own agent or learn to be their own HR professional so that they can be their own advocate in the workplace. Mm. I'm really trying to demystify the world of work and help people feel like they have a voice and they can succeed and they don't necessarily need to feel at odds all the time with their local HR lady or their yeah. manager, right? <laughs> that, that kind of conflict is an artificial conflict. And most of the conflict right. we feel is within ourselves. Is within ourselves. Well, you mentioned, Lori, just a couple minutes ago yeah. around putting ourselves first. So I don't know. I mean, you and I follow each other yeah. very closely, but I recently put out that, hey, I'm starting to work out again. And I decided to be really honest with myself. Good. And to put it out into my community, right? Yeah. Because isn't that what we say we do, right? To lead well. So when I talked about like even in writing it, even in writing that first post of, hey, I've officially hired a trainer. I'm thankful to this one friend, Jamie Smith, that's been pushing me and encouraging me. Even in writing it, my natural tendency was to say, so I can be healthier for my wife and kids and all of my team members, et cetera. It is so hard to say, no, I'm actually doing something for myself. And it's not what anyone else desires for me. It's something inside of me that's so difficult to put myself first. And I even struggle in it right now, even telling you this is so yeah. uncomfortable. Well, I was just going to say you and everybody else who's yeah. a thoughtful individual who doesn't want to be seen as a narcissist, right? We have difficulty saying, I am going to make myself a priority. There's something that in our society that makes us allergic to putting ourselves first. Mm. But you know, when I worked for Pfizer, 
we never said, oh, I don't know about this quarter. We should let Novartis have it. No, right. <laughs> We always said, no, we're going to win this quarter. This is our quarter. We're not going to yeah. let Eli Lilly beat us at this drug, you know? So I feel as if there are so many good examples of corporations doing things right, and we don't often talk about that. But the one thing corporations right. do is they set a goal and they're relentless about chasing it. And because of that, goodness comes from that. People can pay their bills. People can send their children to college because corporations right. are so good at setting goals. So imagine if we were good at setting goals and achieving them, what could we do in our lives? So mm. that component of putting ourselves first, I mean, maybe there's a better way to word it, but I'm sick of trying to find cute compromises around language. It's time to really elevate our own interests because if we're good and we're kind-hearted, our own interests are going to benefit our family. Mike, when you get healthy, that is going to have a benefit on your community. You're going to have more energy right. for people. You're going to have more energy for your family. And it's probably already paying dividends within the first couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Nine weeks in. Nine oh weeks my gosh. In. It's gone that quickly. It's wow. still terribly difficult. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the trainer knows see, that because she's awesome and she keeps pushing to tweak and adjust. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, as you can see on this video, I went and worked out today and I just did this video, right? And there's something about if you're going to work this into your day, you have to let go of some vanity or you have to reconfigure your schedule. And I'm sorry, I don't have time to get pretty on video, but my health is more important than right. slapping yeah. on some lipstick or whatever the case is. So that's all superficial anyway. Right. Totally. It focuses you to get clear on your priorities. So yeah. I really, I'm so excited for you in this journey and congratulations on doing it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. So as we talk about what are some other aspects of helping people get healthy emotionally, what are some of the things that you yeah. see kind of helping people break out of and accomplish? And when they do break out of that, are there questions we can reflect and ask ourselves or even to admit, sometimes it's hard to admit to ourselves where we are, right? Well, one of the things I'm writing about extensively in the book is our broken relationship with money, which is part of the reason why work is so broken. And many of mm. us are working in roles because we come to the role with debt, whether it's honest debt of student loans or mortgages or whatever, or credit card debt, because we haven't set limits on ourselves. Whatever the mm. debt is, we come to our jobs and instead of a job being somewhere where we can contribute, we can learn, we can grow, we bring all of this financial stress to the role. And then when we're faced with challenges on a daily basis, we're not really thinking from an executive function about the challenges of the job because we've got mm. this whispering in our ear like, don't blow it, you need this paycheck. Don't blow it, you've got to make it till Friday. And so I think there needs to be a reckoning around debt and around the reasons why we work. The other thing is you cannot tell somebody to take this job and shove it, even if you just dream about that. If you have <laughs> credit card debt, you just can't mm -hmm. do it. Right. Credit card debt is a form of indentured servitude. And so it's part of my goal with this book to talk about it, to remove the mm -hmm. stigma of it, to remove the shame of debt, and to get people to thinking about how do I stop keeping up with the Joneses and how do I start keeping up with my own self-interest? How do I pay down this debt so I can work and pursue interests, pursue hobbies, pursue other things that I love and not have to worry about that check every other Friday. Mm, that's excellent. Excellent. Oh God, so I'm so caught up on it. And I think part of our worker dissatisfaction is tied into this financial 
stress, this inability to achieve financial well-being, if we can solve for part of that, and I think HR has a role to play in this, if we can Mm -hmm. solve for that, I bet we can raise those scores. Yeah. Yeah. So we are seeing, and I'm sure you are as well, organizations that are engaging social workers to come in and help their employees teaching financial literacy. That's right. Bringing in, call it counselors, but if you have an employee base that's managing through elderly parents or kids going to college or children or grandchildren that you are helping that are managing through test scores. And we're seeing organizations bring those resources into the workplace. And back to the debt comment equation, that that affects everyone in an organization, no matter what level, right? And we're seeing these organizations utilizing services and almost Mm -hmm. being surprised that I didn't know a couple of our VPs would say, hey, can I take that financial literacy course. That's right. That's right. And yet it's something we don't talk about or we put some distance and we say, oh, this financial literacy is for others. Mm. And I know through my own journey as an entrepreneur that I've been limited at times with my growth because I haven't been wise about the way that I've spent money. So Mm. I write about that. The first time I became a consultant, I had all of these dreams about what a consultant meant And Mm. I didn't quite realize it meant being very prudent, very judicious with my spending in order to prolong my runway to make sure that I can do this work. Mm. So I had all of these dreams about being my own boss and just traveling the world. But eventually I had to say no to certain opportunities because Mm. I couldn't afford to do it or I didn't budget properly. So Mm -hmm. I had to go back and relearn some of these skills in my 30s because they just didn't come naturally to me. Well, I felt very shamed about that at the time, and I felt it was such a shameful experience. It's not shameful. It's uniquely human. How many mm-hmm. of us have that kind of financial literacy and training when we're in our teens and our 20s? Not right. many. Right. And if I can help people own it and talk about it and de-escalate it and then tackle it, well, I'm doing some good work. That's, That's why right. I feel. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And to those listening that do not know Lori... Lori's been a really, I say great friend. We've met once or twice. We have, yeah. Too long ago, yes. But you're certainly a leader who I follow, and you're the kind of leader we want to put in front of our audience around these kind of topics to get people to reflect and go, wow, I didn't think about that, and I've never been able to interact, but now I'm going to go check out the Let's Fix Work podcast, and I'm going to have on my Amazon wait list to purchase the book when it comes out. (laughs) Thank The other dynamic I love that you're putting as the priority is this personal relationship, which is why we're talking. Just yesterday, I was talking to a dear friend who's another entrepreneur. He owns his own company. And we were talking about why, to you mentioned the 80s, 90s attitude, why have we put so much into developing ourselves professionally? but not developing ourselves personally, not doing relationship retreats and marriage retreats and financial retreats. And you hear now, and we want to continue to highlight these where parents, if they have children, they're taking a child with them to a ranch or to some type of retreat experience. And for many, it's like, that's profound. I never thought of that. You know, I have a friend who goes to a silence retreat, which would kill me as an extrovert. I could not be silent for three days. You would would love it. You would love it. I have done that. He said that. He was like, Mike, I know you would love it. We have to put ourselves first, ladies and gentlemen. So true. And this is such a priority. And you're hearing from two individuals 
who focus on helping organizations and leaders lead well. And we're saying in order to lead well, you've got to lead yourself well. And you, you need to think about things I've never done before. And maybe I won't get financial support from the organization I'm with. Who cares? Do who cares? it for you. Own it for you. So Harvard Business Review and Harvard Business School have a real interesting article about how employees who are learning are growing and are happier consistently. It's without a doubt. That's the number one metric. If you are learning at work, if you are in that mode of acquiring new skills, whether it's personally or professionally, you are happier and you're more fulfilled. Mm. And I have to say, part of me is like, duh, but Part of me looks back at my career and thinks about the moments when I was the least happiest, when I was disengaged. And it's because I was bored. I was bored personally. I was bored professionally and I felt stuck. The one way to unstick yourself is to go learn something new, whether it's doing silent meditation or taking a dance class or doing something fun and creative with your children. It's the art and science of re-scripting your current situation and going and learning something new so you can take all of that new content and bring it back to your current environment. That is the key to finding happiness, not just at work, but in this world. So it's another component of my book that focus on learning. You've always got to be learning. And again, just because your organization doesn't have a formal training budget or an LMS or any of those heady, jargony, buzzwordy things doesn't mean that you can't be the chief training officer of your own life. Mm, that's great. Yeah, we call it change, challenge, and growth, right? And ultimately, you do those three things, you'll also create innovation that you never thought possible. But employees, to your point, they don't change jobs because they feel so challenged in their learning. They change jobs because they're bored out of their minds, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Even cultures where individuals blame generations, which I'm not a believer of, if you say, hey, the best organizations are constantly changing, helping their employees change, help feel challenged, and help them grow, you'll find an employee for life. But in order to do that, you've got to even maybe move people cross-functionally, Move right. people throughout the organization, have them do things that they never even thought possible. For me personally, when I see an employee do something that she or he never even thought was possible, yeah, that's when I know that you're helping employees be the best versions of themselves. You know, years ago, I felt like I was afraid of technology, like seriously, which is mm. a weird thing to think about. But I was like, oh, I'm not a big fan of tech. And then I started mm. supporting our IT function at Pfizer. And I worked closely with the CTO and the CIO. And one of them said to me, have you heard about this thing called Twitter? Have you heard about this thing called Facebook? And I went, no, but I'm going <laughs> to, it was 2005, 2006, 2007. I'm going to go be curious about that. And it was a life-changing moment that I was in an environment that encouraged me actually to go out and to learn new things. They also put me on cross-functional teams with mm. IT professionals and finance professionals to solve people-related problems. And I'm so grateful for those opportunities because hmm. those challenges were fine, but I got to understand a little bit about what happens in those different departments and think, you know what? I can do a little bit about that too. I mean, all mm -hmm. we do at work is solve problems. We bring our expertise to problems. Mm. And it helped me to understand that I had different expertise, but I could also learn and grow from other people around me. So mm. if you can test your boundaries, if you can push yourself at any given moment, do it. And if you can't do it at work, do it at home. Like go 
join our book club. I started a book club about a year ago because mm -hmm. I felt like not enough people were reading. Mm -hmm. And it's been a joy to me just to read books inside of the world of business, but also outside of the world of business. So any chance you can get to challenge your brain, do it. That's awesome. Yeah. Lori, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for all of the work you do and for fixing work. For those <laughs> listening, please check out the Let's Fix Work podcast. Also join Lori's book club, follow her on Twitter, engage with her. Trust me, you will learn something profound about yourself and about others. Lori, thank you for being the leader who you are. Thank you. And thank you for your friendship. Well, you as well. And thanks for having me and Miss Roxy today. We really appreciated it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait for the next conversation. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity.